Approaching old age and even death with positivity and vigor. This is obviously a relevant subject for all of us mere mortals. A deeply relevant subject. Life is a matan as a gift from Hashem to be savored. So the last phase in our life and how we prepare for that final journey, no less than the rest of our life, ought to be optimized. And we will see tonight how this is the meta theme permeating our parsha pervasively. Our parsha deals with Yaakov Avinu's end of life, the way he instructs Yosef to bury him in Eretz Yisrael. His brachos and last will and testament, his ethical will to his children, the brachos. And then the actual embalming and burying of Yaakov Avinu. It's a partial all about the end of life. And yet it's opening phrase and very title, Vayechi and he lived. The parsha about death is called Vayechi. Considering that the names of Parshias, the opening phrase of a Parsha, is significant. Klal Yisrael did not title it by this opening phrase in vain. So the irony is palpable. Vayechi and he lived in this Parsha. Which one would think is a morbid Parsha. In the aura of death and end of life decisions. That this title, Vayechi, suggests that the end of life need not be morbid, but can be with chias, vigor, spirit, Vayechi, and he lived. That's a sentimental perspective of the name Vayechi in our parsha, And it's a sentiment which can be buttressed based on a well-known statement of the Zohar. The Zohar comes to explain the opening phrase of our parsha, Vayechi Yaakov Shvas Reishana. Yaakov lived these last 17 years in Mitzrayim. And it explains Yaakov lived, means Yaakov was besimcha. Yaakov for the first time in his life was truly alive. Because think about it. Most of Yaakov's life, he suffered. Yaakov is the Av of trials and tribulations. Esav sought to kill him. His daughter Dina was abducted previously. Lavan had double-cheated him. He lost his son Yosef. But finally, he's now in Mitzrayim, living with his whole family, reunited with Yosef, and seeing his children getting along. For the first time, Vayechi Yaakov explains the Zohar, ya- Yaakov lived. The Zohar is noting Vayechi is not simply an expression of life in the scientific sense, in the beating heart sense, but means a freilach kaida chias. And read this way, it must be significant that Yaakov's chias, Yaakov's period of vigor, was particularly at the end of his life. It seems to me, Alpidus Zohar, the parsha wants us to note it is no coincidence that Yaakov had a period of chias, a period of vigor, particularly in the time which might seem to be the dusk of one's life. 
The parasha is teaching us, Yaakov is teaching us, it need not be that way. The end of one's life can be the period of the greatest chiyas, the greatest vitality, as we see with Yaakov Avinu here. And this deeply relevant message of optimizing the end of one's life attains more power and more grip when we tease out our parish as a whole from a meta perspective. Frequent Shia attendees know my theory, my thesis, that a parsha as a unit has a certain literary technique, in this case a sacred literary technique, as devised by the divine author HaKadosh Baruch which will resemble the sort of literary techniques which a human author, Lahavda, will use. So, for example, just as a human author at the end of an essay, at the end of an article, will have a summation paragraph, I believe you will find at the end of the parasha, oftentimes a summation passage, which captures what the totality of the parasha is about. And if we read the parasha with sensitivity, we'll be able to draw this correlation, how the final passage of the parasha captures what the totality of the parish is about. Well, let's study carefully the final passage of Parshas Vayechi, and let's see how it captures the overall idea of approaching the, of experiencing the end of life with Simcha and Vigor. The end of our parsha, the last few psukim, deals not with the end of life of Yaakov, Yaakov has already passed on, but rather the end of life of his son Yosef. And it is very, it's aesthetically pleasing that, that this final passage of the parsha, the end of Yosef's life, is symmetrical with the larger rest of the parsha, i.e. the end of the life of Yaakov. For starters, it uses the same term, Vayechi. It says, Vayechi Yosef, mea v'asar shanim. Echoing of Yaakov's Vayechi. And then, at the end it says, Vayishba Yosef, es b'nei Yisrael emer, pakod yifkod, elukim eschem v'alisem asatzmosem yizeh. He has his brothers take an oath, he has the Jewish people take an oath to bury him in Eretz Yisrael. Well, that is an unmistakable echo of what Yaakov did earlier in the parasha when he had Yosef take an oath to bury him in Eretz Yisrael. And finally, the parasha concludes with Yosef's death and embalmment. Well, that was exactly what happened with Yaakov. He's the only other individual in the Chumash earlier in our parasha who died and was embalmed. So it's very clear stringing together all of these parallels, we get what the divine author, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is doing here at the end of Ayachi. He wants us to see the whole parsha, the whole, the whole story of end of life as experienced by Yaakov, now captured once again in the end of life of Yosef. What is significant from this perspective is to note in this passage, the end of Yosef's life, how does he experience the final years of his life? 
Because after all, Yosef, much like his father Yaakov, experienced a life of trial and tribulation. Brothers who were envious of him. Brothers who abandoned him, who sold him into slavery. A period in an Egyptian dungeon. That is his experience earlier in his life. But here in this final period of his life, as narrated in this final passage in our Parsha, it speaks of a ideal, an idyllic period in Yosef's life. It speaks of him as a doting Zeta, seeing children and grandchildren. Vayar Yosef Shalishim. He saw three generations, much as Yaakov, again, in parallelism earlier in our parasha, saw multiple generations, not only children, but grandchildren, who he took Nachas from. But here it speaks of concerning Yosef. Vayar Yosef Yosef. He saw, as we'd say, Enoch and or Enoch And as I read this depiction in the end of the parsha, I think of those Yidin, such as European Jews who suffered, but then in the end of their life, they see children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, following B'darah HaTorah, and their end of their life is one of Freilach Kait Simcha. Well, this is what the Torah is articulating here in the end of Yosef's life. That Yosef, just like Yaakov, despite his life of suffering, while in the end it all came together. And now seen as a whole, the parasha's larger Yaakov portion, now captured in the brief for Yosef portion at the end, it's a unified idea which emerges. I.e., what the parasha wants us to get, both regarding Yaakov and regarding Yosef, a Jew can optimize the final years of his life. And even a Jew whose life was a suffering life can experience a chiyas like never before at the end of their life. There is something too when in the end one sees it all coming together. All the confusions and the vicissitudes earlier in life. Well, a person begins to see with time as things come together, there was a reason why this happened. I'm now in a beautiful place with generations to look towards. Now, this does not mean that in Olam Hazah, a person ever reaches complete clarity. That, of course, only comes to the end game in Olam Haba. But there's a certain chias here, vigor and life, which can be experienced at the end. And perhaps on a very simplistic level, one looks back when they see it all works out at the end and, and, and realizes... I didn't need to worry so much. All those years when things were difficult, I worried, but I see in the end it all works out. May we all be Zoha to reach that place of chias and clarity before the end. So now we can re-embrace the title of the parasha, Alpi the Zohar, as we explained, Vayechi, and he lived with added resonance and appreciation. This is the parsha about how one can live at the end and thrive at the end, and even do so despite earlier disappointments in their life. And I think there is, when we expand the thread even further, there's a broader textual pattern pattern in the Pesachim waiting to be revealed here, 
which lies behind this expression Vayechi as we've explained it. And that is, you will notice, when we go back to the previous parasha or two, and we study some of Yaakov and Yosef's suffering, we will see that this word, Vayechi, Chayim, life, is a big word. Again and again in the Pesukim, it speaks of Yaakov and Yosef's suffering as raising questions regarding their life, their chiyas. For example, we have in Yosef disguised as the Egyptian voice, viceroy's conversation with his brothers. He says, your, Avichamazakin, your elderly father, is he still alive? And the answer, he's still alive. Yosef is all focused on is my suffering father still alive? And then again, later, in Bereshis, Mem Hei Gimel, when Yosef finally reveals himself to his brothers, he asks yet again, is my father still alive? And it is so clear here that he knows, of course, his father is alive. It was already revealed in the earlier passage. But Yosef wants further emotional validation, more than factual validation. Is my father really alive? Can he really be alive? And then the same thing happens when Yaakov is informed about Yosef, that Yosef's viceroy in Egypt. And he says, well, old Yosef, chai, Yosef's still alive. And then when, ya- when Yaakov makes it down to Mitzrayim in last week's parsha, he says to Yosef, old Yosef, b'ni chai, as he's heading down. My son Yosef is still alive. And then he actually tells Yosef several seconds later, Ki you're still alive. Alive, alive, alive. So many times in the Pesachim, is Yaakov alive despite his suffering? Is Yosef alive despite his suffering? This term Chaim so, so laces the narrative that it almost jumps off the page more than the meaning of the word in any particular passage. There's some clearly some larger intention here to see the Yaakov and Yosef story as a story of Chaim itself in jeopardy. Not simply life in the physiological sense they're alive, but the question of can a person maintain their vigor and their spirit despite suffering as borne out by a final Pasuk when Yaakov found out that Yosef was Alive, vatechi ruach Yaakov avim. It uses the word life. His spirit came alive. That I would suggest what this pasuk is revealing is not limited to itself, but echoes within all the expressions of Chaim here regarding Yosef and Yaakov. That the to be or not to be question here is: is their spirit alive? Because they really, really suffered. Seen this way, hearing the echo and the reverberations. That earlier in their life, Yaakov and Yosef's chayim, vigor of spirit, might have been on the line. Certainly Yaakov's. Now, when we read Vayechi Yaakov in our parsha, but in the end, he truly maintained life for those 72 years. We can truly now take ownership of the Zohar's explanation. It does not mean simply he physically lived, but it means he thrived, did not only survive, but thrived. You hear how what lies behind the Zohar's interpretation. That as with every statement of Chazal, it's not simply a localized midrashic speculation. 
But I believe Chazal are always coming from an intertextual analysis. Here we're suggesting it as the above intertextual analysis. Yes, Chaim throughout the Yosef Yaakov story has this connotation. And following through all of, all of these passages, what emerges is Yaakov struggles to have a vigorous spirit as he suffers, but in the end he finally achieves it. And the Torah wants us in our parsha to fully embrace the irony that life, vigor, simcha, can particularly be achieved in the final chapter in one's life. It need not be a downer. It could be an, it could be an upswirl in a person's life. And that's, that's encouraging. That's inspiring. May we all be Zoha to experience that final chapter as every chapter in our life, as a time of aliyah elevation and perhaps even as Yaakov, a time of the greatest aliyah in our life and the greatest dynamism spiritually. Now you might ask, everything we've studied thus far sounds good. It sounds good in the theoretical. In the end, Yaakov and Yosef, despite suffering, it all worked, so the final era of their life was an upswing. But you might say, is it really like that for most of us? Most of us, the end of our life, we experience halila debilitation, physical, in some cases mental. Can it really be a period of upswing? This is a legitimate question to ask. And recognizing the theme of the parsha as we've developed it, one which I think the parsha itself addresses. Because though Yaakov, in this final period in his life, had consolations and solaces of various sorts. It was not all a bowl of cherries. Because we know that Yaakov and our parasha was sick for part of his end zone. And yet, the opening Pusk says, He lived for all 17 years, which rendered by the Zohar means he had vigor and simcha for all 17 years. That would include even the period of physical debilitation. Apparently, even when he is on that sickbed and dealing with last will and testament, apparently that can be a chias too. One can have chias even in severely compromised geriatric circumstances. We Yidin, we, Jew, we Torah Jews, who believe that, the, that physical prowess is not really who we are. That's a characteristic which we have at given periods of youth in our life. But we live in the realm of neshama. Well, the neshama can transcend even physical limitations. And anyone like Yaakov, who has a vayechi, even a missed ailment, that says a lot about them, and really the totality of the person. And we all know people that way, who despite limitations at the end, display reservoirs of strength, drawn reservoirs of strength. 
and it says much about the person. Well, this is yet another dimension I believe Parshas Vayechi is coming to sensitize us to in terms of how to live the end truly as a Chaim, as a Vayechi. Let's develop this further. Not only does Yaakov thrive in the end despite illness, but a well-known Medrash to our Parsha focuses on the fact that Yaakov is the first individual in Torah of whom it speaks of final illness, sickbed, deathbed. And in the sensitivity of Chazal, they find that significant. It's not a coincidence that Yaakov is the first individual about whom a deathbed terminal illness scene is described. Chazal derived from here that Yaakov was actually the first person to experience terminal illness. Explains the Medrash, Yaakov requested this. Yaakov said he doesn't want to die suddenly with no premonition, with no indication that his end is drawing near. He saw it as a schus, as a merit, to see his ends drawing near. So this way he could do tshuva and leave a mesorah to his children and really make the sort of final plannings and resolutions he needs to part from this world, which we see throughout the parasha. This is, this is a precious medrash in the parasha because it really, beyond the specific Yaakov deathbed scene, it really points to many of the issues in our parasha. Yaakov dealing with those end-of-life stuff, the blessings to the children, the funeral plans, and the burial in Eretz Yisrael, and the Medrash adds the tshuva as well, so to speak, Yaakov's inner work and Yaakov's internal experience during his end-of-life condition. Well, Yaakov welcomed all of that and even welcomed the terminal illness which brought that about. Our whole parasha, I would suggest, takes on a different light as a whole, the parasha as a whole, according to this Medrash, and reveals really yet another dimension of the larger Vayechi issue. One is truly alive at the end when they do not delude themselves and try to ignore the natural course which is knocking on their door, but embraces it. I see where things are going. I know every day I'm getting older and older. And on some level, this is true of all of us, regardless of which stage we're at. We're getting closer. And that has consequences in terms of how I should live my life. This gift of life is fleeting. And as it, as the sand escapes the glass, all the more so, I have things to do. And when I am not scared and frightened of that realization, but I embrace it and I really optimize it. I make good decisions based on it, as Yaakov does. I'm alive. I'm engaged rather than objectified at the end. I am not some lifeless entity, Khalila, who's fleeting on a deathbed, but I am engaged, so I am alive. So both writing a tzavah, a last long testament, yes, about estate issues, but hopefully, moreover, an ethical will, and not just writing one, but leaving a heritage like that. Ensuring that a person is leaving behind to future doros, their mark and what they're about, 
as Yaakov is doing here through the bracha. This is really how to live the end. And this is the strong thing to do and the vayachi thing to do, the chis approach. And there are several splendid textual patterns which come to light in our parsha, which bring out this theme. In Vayechi, Yaakov is focused on heritage, is, fo- is taking the initiative in terms of his transition from life to death. For starters, there's a very interesting pasuk when Yaakov is talking to his children right before he actually passes on. He says, please make sure to bury me in Ma'aras HaMachpelah in that special place. Bakever asher kirisali shamatek I'm going to translate the pasuk literally. In the grave which I dug for myself, the kivri asher kirisali shamatek Bury me in that grave where I buried myself. It sounds like Yaakov pulled out a shovel and dug the grave for himself. Now, that's strange. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's the American in me, the 21st century American in me, growing up in a death-denying culture. That somehow that image, as though before Yaakov went down to Mitzrayim, he dug the grave for himself, that, that jarred my sensitive American ears. And truth be told, I don't know if the Pusik is literal. Does it mean he pulled out a shovel and actually measured out the dimensions of his body? Or is this more of a figure of speech that I prepared the grave? But either way, this raw pasuk is intended to make an impression. He dug the grave in whatever sense. He does not allow death and end of life issues to happen to him. He engages with them. He digs the grave for himself. And more than the hole in the ground six feet below. Takes the initiative in this process. Including when he leaves that last will and testament for his kids and he gives the bracha. As I believe is further stressed in yet another textual pattern, you will see a word which keeps on reappearing throughout our parasha you know that when a word keeps on reappearing, almost jumps off the page throughout the parasha, it means it's an overarching focus. You will see throughout our parasha the word sava, as in the, fi- the final command, the last will and testament of that, keep on reappearing throughout our parasha in various circumstances. For example, regarding Yaakov's brachos to his children. It says, Vayasu lo, it says like this, Vayachal Yaakov, Yaakov was done commanding his kids. It describes his blessing as a commandment. That's strange, but I believe this term has the connotation of tzavaz and last will and testament. Likewise, we have a pasuk in our parsha, Vayasu lo banav ken Yaakov's children did as he commanded in terms of how they buried him, how they carried his coffin. And likewise, when Yaakov dies and Yosef's brothers approach him and they say, respect your father's memory by treating us well rather than taking revenge, the same word appears. They say, avichat siva lifnei mosoleimar. 
Your father commanded before he died. Siva commanded. Yaakov, respect my memory. Even when I'm no longer here, keep Shalom in the family. Don't take revenge. So we have several expressions. It's a, it's again, it's an echo. It's a textual reverberation. Which one picks up on when they listen with a sensitive ear? Whether regarding Yaakov's blessings to his children, whether regarding Yaakov's actual funeral planning, which his children implement, whether regarding Yaakov's spiritual legacy, including that his children not fight with each other and not take revenge, all of that, all of these are merged together under that umbrella expression Siva or Tzavah in the parasha. Because Yaakov is the model of the very concept of a tzavah, a last will, a testament of one taking the initiative. So they leave their mark when they're no longer here rather than allowing it just to happen. And that, I believe, is yet another dimension of the vayachi, the, the living this final period and taking the initiative rather than just leaving it to happen. And we can suggest that this idea of approaching the final period in one's life not with morbidity and hopelessness, certainly not nihilism, but rather vigor and initiative, is yet another meaning in the well-known Chazal in our parsha. When Chazal note that the Torah does not use the word Misa in describing Yaakov passing on, because Yaakov Avinu Lomes, Yaakov didn't die. In some sense, Yaakov didn't die. Like every statement of Chazal that can be interpreted on many levels, I would suggest on one rationalistic level that can mean Yaakov did not pass on with a sense of death and debilitation. Yaakov, who more than anyone else here in the parsha, is the very model of vigor in the end, facing down what's happening and ensuring that they even die in accordance with their will and leaving beyond a legacy. They pass away, not in debilitation, certainly not spiritual debilitation, but they pass on in vigor. It seems like they are so much here, which reminds me of a well-known story regarding one of the great Bali Musser, the son of the altar of Kelm. His name was Reb Nachum Velvelziv. He's Reb Dessler's father-in-law. He was a great, great tzaddik. And his whole life, he worked, Reb Nachum Zev worked on the midah of equanimity. That was his big musar avodah. Equanimity. Whatever would happen to him in life, he wouldn't lose his cool, he wouldn't lose his sense of perspective, he had what's called Moach Shalit al-Halev, the brain controls the emotions, and he, he was in control of himself. So much so that even in his death, he was totally in control of the situation and took the initiative. So much so that he turned around and he told his children, it was a Friday and he saw he was dying, he said, Felt he was not going to be your Shabbos anymore. And he said, be careful when you eat the fish tonight. I don't want you to choke on any bones. That's what he was concerned with. And then he hired a wagon to take one of his daughters back from the cemetery. Because one of his daughters had a bad leg. From his deathbed. He said, you know, Freda has a bad leg. And he hired a, a carriage to take him back. And everyone was so astounded. 
so initiative from the death, but not simply initiative, but he wasn't frightened by death. He was dealing with it and its consequences. And I believe not only regarding these practicalities of funeral plannings, but in ensuring that, that that whole transition from one state of life to Chayolam would happen as he would want it, that, that he was alive, so much so that even the non-Jews, there was a Russian doctor who said, he's not dying, I see he's so alive. Well, that to me is a closer tower era, a Yaakov Avinu Lomes, that that Chazal in our parsha now is not a freestanding Chazal, but really captures the idea of the parsha as a whole, the vigor, the Vayechi, as one approaches this final period when they do so with initiative. And I would suggest this is particularly a Yaakov phenomenon, because one of Yaakov's unique characteristics is mitasu shleima, the fact that all of his children remain on the right path. Yaakov, more so than any of the other others, is successful in leaving behind a legacy. He could say no child left behind. With all of their issues, each one is on the derech, as he would want them to be the only one of the others. So it is Yaakov who teaches us the idyllic way to die, dying with a sense of chayim and leaving behind a legacy and a heritage, which he does successfully here, and he does with initiative here. This understanding, really this final dimension we're developing in the entire Vayechi motif of tonight. The greatest vigor in the final period in one's life is when they are leaving behind the heritage to their family, as Yaakov does with the Brachos and beyond, is brought out by several Midrashic patterns regarding the Yaakov Avinu Lomay's teaching, Yaakov didn't die, which seem to point at he's not dead because he's living on in his children, because he's passing on a Messiah to his children. Really in line with the idea set in another Chazal, that if our children follow in our path, we remain. Our ideals remain on the Shama remains continuing touching them. Well, for starters, let's study really the Midrashic source for the teaching of Yaakov Avinu Lomay. So one of the Midrashic sources, which come from a Pasuk in Yirmiyahu, which the Gemara cites. It's a Pasuk about the end of days. Vatal tiriav the Yaakov al techas Yisrael. Fear not, Yaakov. I will redeem you at the end of days and I will redeem your children. Hashem is redeeming both Yaakov and his children at the end of days. Which means, explains the Gemara, it's comparing him to his children. Just like the Yaakov's progeny, there'll be Jewish progeny alive at the time of Geula. Yaakov too will remain alive like his progeny at the time of the redemption though it is many years after he has passed on. Notice that of all ways to articulate to me Yaakov's spiritual continuity, Yaakov, you know, Lomais, the Navi does this by comparing Yaakov to his children. Just as his children is, are alive, so do he's alive. Ki and Zaracha. 
Why so? Why is the idea of Yaakov Vinulo Mace taught this way? His children are alive, so he's alive too. That is because this is exactly the meaning. Yaakov is alive because he has progeny. Mazaro Bahayim. It's not simply a Midrashic derivation to know Yaakov is alive, but it's actually the concept revealed here. Because Yaakov has children who are alive, Yaakov has children who are continuing in his path. That is what continues to give him life, and so to all of us. Mazaru b'chayim, afhu b'chayim. We leave life with avayachi when we are leaving progeny behind who are carrying on our legacy. And you will actually pulling out your magnifying glass and tracing clues, you will find many arrows pointing in this direction when you study Midrashim and Rishonim about Yaakov Inulomates. That all seem to talk about Yaakov's remaining alive because of his children. For example, Rashi in Tainas Tafheim at base says... Both at the time of Yitzias Mitzrayim and at the time of the Geula Lasalavo, Yaakov experienced the redemption along with his children. Meaning Yaakov's spirit is somehow hovering over us at the time of our redemption. Yaakov is with us. Yisrael the person lives on in Yisrael the nation, his progeny. And not only in times of Geula and joy, but I found the statement of Rabbeinu Bahaya quoting, quoting a medrash in our parasha, which says, more than any other of the other Avos, it is Yaakov who feels the pain of the Jewish people in Galas, which is a very moving medrash, because we know it's Yaakov Avinu who suffers. So he's the one, as we all suffer, big or small, as we all suffer in our life, he's the one who could feel for us. But moreover, Abinu Bahai is seeing this as the expression of Yaakov Avinu Lomais. His spirit remains as though he feels our pain. And we all take a solace in the knowledge that Nishamas of the departed are with us in our ups and our downs. Well, Yaakov models this. Which really means this is what Parshas Vayechi and Lomais is all about. The continued connection to one's children. We live on in our children when we leave a heritage to our children. And really this entire final idea which we've developed in the Vayechi, in the larger motif of the living the end, no better way to thrive in the end, to have vigor in the end, than when one is leaving behind a legacy to future generations. This comes a lot in a vivid medrash, a medrash which is vivid and yet perhaps strange, but we'll be able to tease out its meaning now and with this conclude our shir. It's a medrash cited by the Gemara. And we shown and point to this Gemara as the quintessential illustration of Yaakov Avinu Lomes, of Yaakov remaining alive. What's the story? The story is like this. We're told that when Yaakov's coffin finally made it to Eretz Yisrael, Tamar Samach Pela, Shvatamar 
holding him aloft, children, his grandchildren, and the entire entourage of Mitzrayim. And as they're about to lower the coffin into the ground, there's a commotion of sorts. There's a ruckus. Someone's making a fuss. Who is making a fuss? No less than Asaph. Yeah. You know, kind of so many legends, right? The Fashtukin of fish, the stinking fish who keeps coming back, right? We thought we were done with him already. We thought he was swept off the stage. No, he's still here in this story in the Medrash. Yaakov is here protesting as his dead brother Yaakov, Esau is here protesting as his dead brother Yaakov is buried. It's my plot, Amara Samach Pela. I want to be buried next to Yitzchak Avinu. Right? The angel of battle of who will be here, who will be successor to the throne of Avram and Yitzchak, to the role of being an Av, continues to be waged even in the cemetery itself, in Mars Hamach itself. So the Gemara continues that Yaakov has one grandchild who's deaf, Chushim ben Don, Chushim the son of Don. And he doesn't quite get what's going on here. Yeah, he's confused what's going on. What's, they explain to him, there's this guy, there's Esau, and he's impeding the burial of your grandfather. Well, he doesn't quite get it. Some, just someone, some troublemaker is impeding his grandfather's burial. He doesn't get the background scene. They're trying to retrieve the deed to prove that it's Yaakov's uh, burial plot, that he settled that issue with Esau. Chushim ben Dan doesn't get it. He loses patience. And he socks out Esau and kills Esau. This is the famous Midrashic portrait of Esau's head rolling there in Mars Hamach and remains there ever since. And the Gemara concludes, after Chushim socked out Esau's head, Yaakov's eyes opened and he smiled. Smiled at Chushim and smiled at everything that happened and then they buried Yaakov in the ground. And this explains Tosas and other Rishonim is the quintessential depiction of Yaakov Avinu Lomes, that smile on his face, the eyes opening up miraculously when Chushim ben Don knocks out Esau's head there in Mara Samach. Certainly a vivid piece of madrash. But what is it coming to teach us? What is the significance of this midrashic miracle? Yaakov opening up his eyes under these circumstances of the tussling in the graveyard. If it wasn't Chazal talking, we would write this off as Paul Bunyan sort of stuff. Strange medrash. There must be a meaning. There must be a theme. There must be a deeper message to it, which is really what all medrashim are about. Well, in light of everything we studied tonight, the idea of our parish is Yaakov's success to die with Chaim, to die with initiative, most of all by leaving a legacy. Well, Asav showing up to contest with him is a very powerful scene because that really represents Yaakov's whole life. Yaakov's whole life 
was the skirmish with Esav. And not only the skirmish with Esav, the person, of which there was quite a bit, but the skirmish with the ideals of Esav. That was the war which Yaakov waged throughout his life. Well, seen this way, it's quite poignant. Now that Esav is waging war and really re-waging the war of succession, will it be him or Yaakov? Now when Yaakov is dead, Yaakov is no longer here to wage the war. And now it falls to his children and grandchildren. I think there's symbolism to this matter. The symbolism is... The question is being raised here. Yaakov Bechayim Chiyusa, when he was alive, he was there to wage that succession battle with Esau. He was there to duke it out with him. What will, what will the chosen people be about? What will the world be about? Him or Esau's ideals. But now that he's no longer here, was Yaakov successful in passing on his Mesorah to his children? Is his life continuing in his children as symbolized by his children continuing to fight the good fight against Esau, waging that very same sort of battle which he fought? And the fact that ultimately his progeny, Chushim, wages that war, it's more than merely a story. It symbolizes his progeny are going to continue to fight that good fight. You and I are continuing to wage the Esau, the Yaakov war against Esau. This tussle between good and evil ensuring, the, ensuring what the world is about. Yaakov opens up his eyes midrashically and smiles, shows that he's alive here. The symbolism is, what the Medrash is really portraying is, Yaakov is alive because his progeny are still doing his work, are still fighting his good fight. What a relevant theme here, brought to life by an otherwise seemingly fantastical story in the Medrash. That as with every Medrash, it is really wrapping up what the Chumash is trying to convey, bringing to life what the Chumash is trying to convey. We have the entire idea of our Parsha wrapped captured. Now, unfolding before us from this Medrash, Yaakov remains alive. It's as though his eyes are open and he's smiling because he ensured a Masorah. He ensured that there are children here fighting that good fight. And there could be no greater bracha for all of us. May we all merit to follow in the ways of Yaakov. Everything which we developed from Parshas Vayechi, the broad panoramic view of Parshas Vayechi. That the end of our life will not be a period of spiritual debilitation, even if there is physical limitation and even mental limitation. It will be that continued upward swirl of Ayichi Yaakov Baruch Mitzrayim Shvas Reishana, living, as the Chazal explained, having Freilach Kait Simcha, and as we further developed, engagement even at the end, most of all, by ensuring our Mesorah, what we're about, remains alive in our children and those who we touch in our Talmudim. Amen, Kein Yehiratzon, let's savor every moment of this great gift called life together. Thank you all very much.